I must admit, I've not been having a great time. Everyone kept calling me a wanker. But I learned today, actually, that what they're saying is danker, which means thank you. And that makes a lot more sense. Especially, if, yeah, I thought it was weird, that old lady calling me that. But oh, everyone's actually really polite then in that case. So, yeah, I recommend Berlin. Check it, put it on your list. You should visit if you haven't already. This episode is brought to you by Sourcegraph. With the launch of their Code Insights product, teams can now track what really matters in their code base. Code Insights instantly transforms your code base into a queryable database to create visual dashboards in seconds. And I'm here with Joel Kortler, the product manager of Code Insights for Sourcegraph. Joel, the way teams can use Code Insights seems to pretty much be limitless, but a particular problem every engineering team has is tracking versions of languages or packages. How big of a deal is it actually to track versions for teams? Yeah, it's a big deal for a couple of reasons. The first is, of course, just compatibility. You don't want things to break when you're testing locally or to break on your CI systems or test systems. You need to have some sort of level of like version unification and minimum version support, and all of that needs to be you know, compatible forward. But the other thing we learned was that for a lot of customers, especially you know engineer organizations that are pretty established, they have older versions of things or even older versions of like SaaS tools they don't use anymore that they haven't fully removed because they're like not sure if it's still in use or they you know lost focus on that. And they're spinning up old virtual machines that they're still paying for. Or they're using you know old SaaS subscriptions they're afraid to cancel because they're not sure if anyone's actually using it. And so getting off of those versions not just like saves you the headaches and the risks and the vulnerabilities of being on old versions, but also literally the money of you know, older systems running more slowly or the build times or, you know, virtual machines and SaaS tools that you're no longer using. Before you had this ability, we talked to teams, there are basically three ways you could do this. You could slack a million people and ask for just like an update point in time. You could have sort of one human and one spreadsheet where like it's somebody's job every Friday or every two weeks to just like search all the code and find all the versions and write it down in a Google sheet. Or there were a couple of companies that I came across with in-house systems that were sort of complicated. You had to know, you know, maybe Kotlin, but you didn't know Kotlin. But if you want to use this system, you had to learn Kotlin and you'd have to sort of build the whole world from scratch and run basically a tool like this with a pretty steep learning curve. And now for all three of those, you could replace it with a single line source graph search, which is basically just the name of the thing you're trying to track and the version string in the right format. And then we have templates that'll help you get started if you're not sure what that format is. And then it'll automatically track all the different versions for you, both historically. So even if you start using it today, you can see your historical patterns. And then of course, going forward. Very cool. Thank you, Joel. So right now there is a treasure trove of insights just waiting for you living inside your code base right now. Teams are tracking migrations, adoption, deprecations. They're detecting and tracking versions of languages and packages. They're removing or ensuring the removal of security vulnerabilities. They understand their code by team. They can track their code smells and health, and they can visualize configurations and services and so much more with Code Insights. A good next step is to go to about.sourcegraph.com slash code dash insights. See how other teams are using this awesome feature. Again, about.sourcegraph.com slash code dash insights. This link is in the show notes. Welcome to Go Time, your source for diverse discussions from inside Matt Ryer's head. This episode's a little bit different than what you're used to. It's an audio diary of sorts from Matt's GopherCon EU trip back in July. We've even mixed in GopherCon EU's theme song throughout, hoping to recapture a little bit of the vibe for you. 
Special thanks to our friends at Fastly for delivering GoTime super fast all around the globe. Check them out at Fastly.com. And to Fly.io, deploy your app servers close to your users, no ops required. Find out how at Fly.io. Hello, welcome to my GoTime diary. I'm on my way to GoForCon EU. I'll be co-hosting there with a group of great people. I'm going to be looking forward to the talks and the hacking days. There's conference contributor chats that there's going to be. We're going to play Go For Say. We're going to do a panel with the Go team. Uh, so it's a packed few days. Uh, I'm very excited. It's going to be hard work, but I thought what I'd do is record my thoughts along the way and sort of bring you with me on the journey and give you a little peek behind the scenes. So let's go. Okay, just arrived at the airport. Um, yeah, the driver's okay. I wouldn't say the driver had good breath, uh, but he, don't worry, he more than made up for it with his erratic driving. And uh, he did suggest to, instead of bringing me to the actual airport, just drop me off at a nearby roundabout. But we both agreed in the end that that was absolutely insane. Uh, but he wanted to avoid the charges, but I'd, I, I decided to cover them for him. So, here we go. I'm, I'm going to now head into the airport. I'm on my way. Okay, through security. Didn't even get checked, didn't even pat me down or anything, so going to the gym was a waste of time again. And now I'm going to find my gate. Ah, man, I think I'm on time. I might just make this. Somebody was just a little bit lax on the old escalator etiquette there, um, leaving her bag well, way behind her as she stalled at the top. Um, I, it was inevitable I was going to run into it because, you know, the stairs are moving. Um, so I did, fell a little bit. Uh, being British, I apologised, even though we both know it's 100% her fault. Boarded now. Ready to take off. Welcome to Berlin, where the local family has passed for. We're pleased to say that your plan is pending the prohibited schedule. Electronic devices may now be used if they are within reach for calls, messaging, and internet access. Keep your seatbelt fastened and remain seated until the seatbelt sign is switched off, doors are open, and you are invited to the device. Bit bumpy landing, um, but I wasn't even scared. My tummy went funny a bit on the way down, but I didn't even cry, definitely didn't cry. I just love the vibes here in Berlin. It's very cool, there's graffiti everywhere. <laughs> Everyone's got this sort of punk kind of, almost like a dystopian vibe. 
which I just think is great. Someone told me the motto of Berlin is poor but sexy. You know, and, I, and that resonates with me. I grew up poor and, you know, I was, I was a sexy kid. No, <laughs> don't say that last bit. But I don't know, everyone just seems very nice and welcoming. And someone just gave me free olives. Do you know what I mean? Just as an example, free olives. Um, can't complain with that. Oh, yeah? Oh, okay. Oh, no, I've got to pay. I just, I've got to pay for the olives. But still. An old lady just dropped her shopping bag and I helped her pick it up and, and she just went, wanker. Which is absolutely... <laughs> I can't believe it. Here I am at the Go Contributors Summit and there's a lot of uh, gophers assembling now as we speak. I'm going to talk to a few of them. Oh, I'm here with Egon. Hello, Egon. Hello, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Is, ha, ha, is this the first time in Berlin? Yeah, it's first time. Yeah. And how do you find it so far? It's nice. Like, the street art is amazing. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. It's like the whole city is tattooed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and what are you going to be speaking about or like? I'm not sure which table I'm going to attend. The static analysis one seems enticing and yeah, the factory animation I'm like wondering what is, what's it about. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't think it's got anything to do with Java factories. I don't think you need to worry about that. I, I really hope so. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, we'll catch up with you later yeah. then. Thank of you. Alejandro's here, aren't you? Of course I am. <laughs> um, how was the tour? You went on the walking tour of Berlin this morning, right? Yes, it was a lengthy tour. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, being from Miami, the weather was perfect for a walk. Oh, really? I wasn't hot at all. I didn't get tired. It was wonderful. We saw so many places. Victoria, that was the one leading the tour. It was amazing. She knew so much about it. It was like really like the insiders tour or something like that. Oh, nice! It didn't feel. I didn't feel like a tourist. I was. I felt like I was walking with a friend, and she just just showing me around. It was oh, very nice. That sounds great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, what what was your favorite place you visited? Um, I would have to say that. I don't know if we call it my favorite, but the most impressive one for me was the Holocaust Memorial mm -hmm. that was created for Peter Eisenman. Mm. It is, I, it's very impressive. It's overwhelming, beautiful. So many feelings at the same time that one place can bring. Yeah. It is. It, it, there's nothing I can tell you that would reflect the same thing because you would be standing in the same place and you would tell me a whole different story. I think that's the beauty of that place. Yeah. Wow. And the, and the city's so beautiful as well, isn't it? The city is really beautiful. Today I was talking to my daughter. She's uh, somewhere in Cambridge and whatnot, and I was telling her it, Berlin was. Uh, person it would be a cool old tattooed dude <laughs> yeah that would be berlin yeah if like, he was a man <laughs> it's like tattooed isn't it the yes, whole city it's like the yeah. whole city is wearing the whole sleeves of tattoos and it gives a character 
I guess the mom in me gets annoyed because I see beautiful buildings with writings and then I have to get over it that <laughs> and then see it for what really is. There's yeah. a lot of people voicing things. Yeah. And that's amazing. One of the nice things about GoForCon EU is that it moves around as well. So we had one in Iceland, we had one in Tenerife and now Berlin. And so it's great you get to visit these places that you would otherwise maybe not go to. That is amazing. You have a different take on it because usually the organizers give you like a little bit of an inside of whatever it is that you are. Mm -hmm. They kind of like curate the experience right. for anybody that goes. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of the time and Will do. look Thank forward you so to much. hosting with you. All right. We'll see you on Saturday. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. See you then. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. I've just tracked down Ole Bulberg. Ole, hello. Hi, Matt. Nice, nice to meet you. Nice to see you again. Um, you're doing a table at the Contributors Summit on long-term maintenance. What mm. is that? I only do quick projects and then leave it for someone else to worry about. What is long-term maintenance? Yeah. <laughs> That's when you come like three years after uh, three of you guys have been working on it <laughs> and then find out a total mess and think, <laughs> Oh damn! Now I have to take care of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. And so, is is Go? Does do you think Go has a kind of particular advantage when it comes to long term maintenance I, and legacy code? I think it has quite some advantages. So uh, there is often only one way to uh, do something in Go. So mm. there's only one way to mess it up. Usually <laughs> two. Right. That's great. And. Uh, and it has been uh, done with scalability in mind. That's mm. absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Uh, for example, no uh, circular dependencies between packages, uh, which in the long run is really great. Yeah. And even if it hurts sometimes <laughs> in the short run. And yeah, I think there are the, the rather pragmatic and simplistic uh, way to work with code that you say simple is better and so on. This is really great yeah. and helpful. It pays dividends over time especially, yeah. doesn't it? I know what you mean. And what about like the backwards compatibility promise? That must be a big part of this too. Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, if you have a language that evolves really quickly uh, every year, uh, incompatible version, well, then you either stick with a very, very old version yeah. that has uh, security problems uh, <laughs> after a while, or you are constantly evolving the whole thing and always, oh, you're still doing it like two weeks before and <laughs> you should really catch up now. <laughs> yeah, so, right? not naming any names. Swift. <clears throat> yeah. Oh. <laughs> or even JavaScript or so, but uh, yeah. yeah. Right? And uh, this is really nice, of course, for Go, that you can uh, count on it and build something solid and maintain it with, without a whole team working on, on a rather little code base uh, yeah. all the time and can do it just as a side project when there is not much functionality to be added that you can really maintain it easily. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Well, enjoy the, the conference, and I'll catch up with you later. Thank you. Thanks, Mr. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Square. Develop on the platform that sellers trust 
Here's what you could do with Square. You could bridge more experiences. You could build online, mobile, and in-person commerce experiences that connect more customers and sellers. You can build custom booking solutions. You can create and track orders. You can accept payments. You can manage and curate inventory. You can organize customers. You can manage employees. You can extend Square gift cards to your app. You can use Afterpay. And all this is powered by the world-class Square APIs and SDKs that enable you to build full-featured business apps for yourself or millions of Square sellers. So much is available as a Square Solutions partner. Learn more and get started at changelog.com slash square. Again, changelog.com slash square. I'm here with Kristen, Kristen, oh, sorry. Okay, let's do it again. Hello, I'm Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you, can you pronounce it okay? Uh, yes, I hope so. Okay. So, Matt is here with Christian Haas. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and Christian, you're doing a table discussion about, it's called How to Assert, right? Yeah, it's called How to Assert because I was given to have it a name with only three words. <laughs> Yet I also realized it should have been better called How to Assert in Tests. Ah, right. So just uh, already separated. So the, it came out of a uh, Twitter discussion. Oh, uh, yeah, you could have also had Assert Yourself, Baby. It could have been, yes, and then a totally different discussion would have come out of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be a very different Terminator. I don't think Terminator was written using test-driven development, otherwise... It may be more well, like that. Okay, well, he, he shoots first, and uh, no, he asked first, yeah, do you have to see John Connor and then shoots? That's yeah, true, yeah. So, so. But there's still a question before that, yet it's way beyond what we are discussing here on our square <laughs> table here. <laughs> So but you're talking about then testing in Go and like specifically about the assertions, are you talking about the code structure and things like that? Uh, essentially the code structure, almost. The, the question was, do we manually assert, like in an if my got value is equals to want value compared to do I write an assert library or mm. uh, whatever is uh, A, B and or the testify or any other of the assertion libraries that are out there. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, at one time, a, a testify's assert package was the most imported package in Go. Mm -hmm. And the reason that we, when we made it, we needed, we, we kind of, we used to writing tests like that. And we just found the three lines to be verbose and repetitive, like, because you still want to, like, print out what the values are and things. Right. Right. But it has, of course, the benefit of, you know, it's very readable and you don't have to learn anything new. So that's kind of the trade-off, isn't it? That's the trade-off. And the, uh, the question, or at least the curiosity that I came now to this, I would say, this question was, um, what are the reasons that people would still choose such an assertion library? Because it can go back and forth. Yes, you have just laid out the reasons. You want to have it readable. You don't, some say they don't want to learn a new library. Uh, yet my question is, okay, what, what kind of reasons do the people have that do use an assertion library? Mm. And uh, so I would also like to bring in the four rules of simple design. Are we breaking them or are we actually adhering them yeah. if we use either or the other? Yeah, and, and Testify has, of course, the require sister package, which, mm. which is where it aborts early. And that, right. that, that's also a choice that people make. Some people prefer assert where you can just keep going and, and make lots of other assertions. Correct. And other people like to just have one failing thing at a time. Right, so this is then the question, do you have, do you want to uh, check on, on, on properties as a whole, as a group, We have eight, the property or the, or that I'm going to test consists of several smaller things that I want to, well, right now expect, mm. or do I want to require this particular thing not to be nil? Because if, yeah. if I would continue, then it would fail out either way. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, 
Yeah, and when that, when we designed is, um, the, it actually returns booleans so that you can you can write them in inside if statements. You could say like, if this is not nil, basically, then and then that will fail if it is, but otherwise it returns true and you carry on into that block and stuff. But um, yeah, quite like the the abort early style myself because I love the fact that you uh, you get like a to-do list from your tests and you just get the next thing that you have to fix. Right, right. This, this helps in test-driven development uh, as it is. And the, uh, then again, the question is, do you want to immediately break up because you want to stop? I've heard people saying, well, if, uh, if this one fails already, you will be pretty sure anyway what the problem is. Mm -hmm. And then continue with the, you can skip the next uh, requires or the next expectations because if the first one is already broken, you have to uh, look at it anyway. Yeah. Very cool. Well, let, I'll, I'll come back and chat to you after you've had the conversation and see what, uh, get your sense of what people think. I'd yeah, be interested. More, more and more people are coming in for, for this, uh, not, not round table, but rather rectangular table discussion, <laughs> but we're all good here. Yeah. Good. I like the pedantry. No, thank you. Thank you, Matt. So <laughs> thank this, you. This was Matt Ryer for, with Christian. <laughs> see you Christian right. Haas, thank you. All right, thank you. Oh, no, I can't believe it. Bill Kennedy's here. <laughs> Hi, Bill. Well, I can't believe it. Matt Ryer's here. <laughs> uh, so you're, at this, uh, you're doing a roundtable on educating gophers, and you've been doing that for a long time now, haven't you? Uh, yeah, on the go side since 2014. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's the first gopher yeah. con. Yes, I got to even speak at the first gopher con, which was mm. pretty cool. Yeah, I remember That's because nobody knew me yet, and <laughs> they needed speakers. Yeah. And I was dumb enough to say, sure, <laughs> which was actually the first conference I ever talked at. Was it? Yeah. Oh, wow. 800 people. It was with the GO team, if you yeah. remember, yeah. all sitting there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a little nerve-wracking. Is it on YouTube still? I imagine Brian and Eric still have that website. I, yeah. That's interesting, because I've never looked at the... I did a cool little video with the gopher in Walmart and, like, shopping stuff, and I played that first, so, I, you know, I, everybody yes. laughed. I remember and it. I did, and I got to find that video. Maybe, I don't think I have the video itself anymore, but it, must have it would be somewhere. part of the talk somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I just randomly lived in Denver and was getting into Go. And then the conference was just down the street from where I lived, just completely randomly. So I was at the first GopherCon. You were living in Denver? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, lived I didn't in even know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you were coding in Go before you walked in there, or you were just yeah. like... No, we'd built Testify before that conference. Oh. Um, I, I, yeah, because I started in doing it in when it was the like R56, like okay, before yeah. it even got 1.0. I remember OS error type. Yeah, I, like I started in 1.2. 1.2 yeah. just got, I think, released, and that's when I started. So, yeah, mm. that's... that's. See, see the, what's interesting is mm. you started before a 1.0 release. Right? Yeah. Which had to be, what made you do that? Because it was a, that's a big risk, right? Like I just yeah. heard Google announced another potential programming language to replace C++ and now my brain can't remember <laughs> what the name of this thing is. It's a weird name. And my brain, right, they're announcing it. And my brain's going, I don't want to go anywhere near that right now. Yeah. So you're like that person that saw an announcement. Yeah, well, this was uh, on, I was building something for App Engine and it just supported Java, Python, or this new Go thing with an experimental badge. And that was, and that was before it was proper, I think it was before 1.0 that it supported that. Um, and I just wanted to do some really simple database stuff. 
And I found it very easy to do in Go, you know, because it, it was very clear. I don't know why, it just is easy to pick up. But do you think, like, do you think teaching Go is easier than it would be teaching other languages? I've taught C++ before. I taught at a vocational level. So when I was maybe in my mid-20s and my wife at the time got pregnant, she couldn't work. I had to pick up a second job. So I picked up a a job teaching vocational at night. Mm. I was able to make like an extra $1,000 a month teaching these classes, three hours from like Tuesday, like Monday through Thursday. So I was teaching C++ um, at the time because that's what I was coding in. Mm -hmm. And I don't, when I look back on that, I don't think teaching Go was necessarily any easier as C++. I think it's about understanding what your student needs mm-hmm. in order to be productive, right? Like the training, if you're doing training, it, I highly believe it needs to be practical. Yeah. You need to be able to walk out of that room maybe at the end of the week and go back to work and feel more empowered. Right. And sometimes I have to tell people, don't go crazy refactoring right now, just moving forward. Mm. And if you have this opportunity, but... If they walk out of a, I, I think any training, I don't care what it is that you're yeah. teaching. Mm-hmm. If the student walks out of that and doesn't have the ability to use it, yeah, right? And maybe not on Monday, but then, like, what are you in? What are you doing in there? Right? <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I think the same thing for, and I say this all the time for the stage talks, right? Like, if you're giving a talk about Tech X and I'm using Tech X, and I don't walk away from that talk knowing something that I can practically use. Yeah. For me, like people mm. like academic talks. Yeah, I know they do, and and it's yeah they they I know they do, and and they, there's value in it. I, I I quite like the academic ones, but not there's nothing like that that being able to actually do something with what you've learned. Really, for me, like learning in the context of something some real problem that you have is the way I learn. And I did my book, the Blueprints book, was about building real little projects. Yeah. And some people complained like, oh, you didn't, you didn't go into all the depth of all the concepts and stuff first. And it's like, yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I deliberately didn't. No, but that would be uh, a 10-volume book too, which people don't <laughs> understand. Yeah. Right? Like you, yeah. you have maybe 20 pages, 25 pages to explain something in a book. Yeah. And you have to really decide what level... And we go, or you go off the tangent. Yeah. But how cool is it in a conference? Like, I've been in really good talks where the person in front of me opens up their laptop, brings up the code, and they start, like, yeah. like for me... That's a win. That's the win, right? Yeah. Or somebody coming up and asking you questions about now their job. Hey, hey I'm, I'm doing... Like, to me, that's, that's what I want to see. Yeah. In, for my, at least for me, on yeah. trainings and talks. That's what I want to see. No, that makes a lot of sense. So do you have to, like, figure out the sort of level of your audience before you're teaching. Do you, it's difficult at a conference because you're going to have people of all levels. How do you deal with that? If I'm doing the 20 to 30 minute talk, then no, because at that point you've already described hopefully what it is you're going to explain and show. And if it's one of these multi-track, you've labeled this is for intermediate, right. this is what I'm going to do, either it's for you or not, whatever. Mm-hmm. If you're in a workshop then I think it's really important to try to gauge who your audience is. Now, 
if you're super lucky, 80% are going to be at the same level. Regardless of what it is, Mm -hmm. they'll be at the same level. Mm. If you're super unlucky, (laughs) there's an even distribution of beginners, intermediate, and advanced, which is what's going to happen to me tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Because it's just, there's so many new, everybody I'm meeting here, it's the first conference. They're mostly new to go. Right? So you're going to have the mix. Mm -hmm. That's the challenge. But I always say this to everybody. It is better to overwhelm someone than underwhelm. Right. Always. So I'm always going to try to, again, if it's blended, I'm going to target the intermediate. I'm going to throw in side advanced stuff. I might just say, okay, now for all of you that are, listen to this. Mm -hmm. It's not going to make any sense to you, but hey. And I pull them back in. Yeah. And then the other thing I think, which is critical, if you're in a room, it's a long day conference and you have this mix. What I'll tell the more advanced students is, there's material here for you, but there are going to be moments where you're going to say, I know this. Yeah. And so what you need to do is understand that you're going to be a teacher at work. You're always, at some point you're wearing two hats, you're a student, you're a teacher. So what I want you to do on those moments where you know this, I want you to focus on how I'm teaching it. Right. And whether you like the way I'm doing it, then, a, 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 you know, use it. Mm. If not, now, how would you do it different? Mm, but either way, there's focus something your there. brain yeah. on what I'm saying and why I'm saying it, not for you to learn, but to learn how to teach. Yeah. So that's really that's a really good point. Do you, are there enough people teaching Go? Do you think we need more? There are a ton of new books coming out from from new people, and I only know that because, and you may get the emails too. Will you review, <laughs> review, review, review? Yeah, review, yeah. Right? Um, <laughs> And I think that's good. The, the interesting thing, though, is Go has not really changed in 10 years. Okay, we added generics, and there's been mass improvements in some internal runtimes. But mm. when people say, Bill, your ultimate Go is like on video. It's like two years old. It's got to be outdated. I, I laugh. I go, yeah. no, no. Yeah, yeah. It's not. The semantics haven't changed. We've got backwards compatibility mm. promises. and. I threw generics in the book, and I'm not going to teach it because one, I don't have time, and two, I don't want you to really use it unless, yeah. right? Yeah. So we've got new books coming out. I don't know. I try to push people away from the general books. I go, we already have them. You know what we're lacking? And I say this all the time. Nobody wants to. We're lacking standard library package books. Mm. If somebody wants to, if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking about a book, do not write another go in action and go PL and just it's been done we don't need another one of those you're you're <laughs> you're I don't want to say wasting time but you're wasting time yeah. what we need is a catalog of standard library books yeah. how do you use a strings package bytes package time mm. package that mm. would be and these are nice books these are 40 50 page books and you can sell them individually and you'd have this whole collection yeah and Every day I would pick up one of them because I have to Google time and bytes and mm-hmm. all the time because my, I don't retain that stuff. Yeah. Right? I just need to look at something. And it's still protected by the backwards compatibility promise. So That's right. you've got longevity in the, in the material as well. You got it, right? Yeah. So on the new book, what I did is I self-published so I can update it mm-hmm. when it's absolutely necessary. Because once you go to print... Yeah. You're, you're kind of locked in, right? What do you do? Go around to people's houses and give them new pages to sell a tape in? Well, they can always download the PDF new, right. which mm-hmm. is good. Oh, so they get that for, for the life of it? For the life of it. You oh, just great. download the new PDF. 
if you want to get another print, that, that I can't do anything about because that's Amazon. Yeah. Amazon cost. Um, yeah. So we have that, right? Um, we haven't had conferences really. I mean, we've had conferences, but for some reason, me personally, I don't watch conference talks. Mm. Like, maybe I've watched a handful of them over the years, but I watch it for entertainment. I, I rarely watch it because I'm. I don't know why. Yeah. That's interesting. You right? don't do that to learn, you mean? Or... No, somebody I know is giving this talk and I wanted to see it. Or maybe a handful of times, but I don't have patience for video. I mm. love reading. Right. Because right. I can read very, very fast. The video I have to put on 2X mm-hmm. and try to parse it. So, video for conference talks for me are not where I go. Yeah. Um, and I've been asking people where they've been getting, and they've been mostly it's been books and and then searching online. So what do you got? So you got the books. I think they're valuable. I'd love to see a whole another set. Video. I do video because I'm, well, I do video because, and I think that stuff is it. But I've never looked at Udemy. I've never looked at um, Plural Site. I've mm. never seen anything negative about them. So then it ends up becoming a cost. I think. Yeah. Uh, my big problem with video is I'm going to be more expensive than you going to Udemy. Uh, it's just, right? Even though I give away a ton of video for free on scholarships and yeah. people don't really know that they can just ask me <laughs> and I will give them discounts. I do it all day. I hear stories all the time though of, of like, they say, oh yeah, Bill just gave me this thing and because, you know, I couldn't, I'm a student, I couldn't afford it and they got in touch and... I didn't yeah. do this for you not to see it or yeah. read it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, I'd like to believe that the quality of the material I'm providing is going to be better than anything else out there. Right. I, I, That's why you do it. At least I have right? that belief system. Yeah. So I don't mind the sales team trying to sell that three or four sets of videos for, I don't even know what they sell for, maybe 800 bucks. Mm-hmm. But I can't. I don't honestly know how many times we actually sell it for you. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm constantly being told that, Bill, this isn't a charity. This is a business. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm not that's why s- you need those business people, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's why I need Ed and Miguel and all those guys. Yeah. But I also didn't do it for it to sit on a shelf. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so if you want material that, that I have, all you ever have to do is reach out. We'll figure it out. Yeah, that's so, great. I, so I think that stuff is really good. Um, and then what else is there? The books, the video, uh, and then I guess Googling. Yeah. Everything. What's the, what's, the challenge, what's the big challenge of educating? What's like the thing that people struggle with the most in your experience when they're learning Go? I think I break up my training in two parts. I call it the, a micro-level understanding and a macro-level understanding. Mm. So the micro-level understanding is when we get down to lines of code, right? That's the, the readability, the simplicity, the, the syntax, the, the idioms, right? Yeah. The problem, and you need that, if you really want to engineer, right? There's programming and there's engineering. Right. And I tell people, and I tell people that are working with me, do some programming right now. Just give me code that works. I couldn't care less if I didn't see a single error, if, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm not looking for that right now. Mm-hmm. Once we've got code that works, now we'll talk about engineering. Right. We'll engineer it, right? So at a micro level, it's critically important to have those idioms and understand what it means for something to be readable and then learn how to refactor for simplicity. 
But after a week of Ultimate Go, I don't think you have the ability to go back and be as productive as you as you could, right? It's not necessarily a practical. I'm almost called an academic level mm. class, but you need it because it sets the stage for the next Ultimate Service, which I'm teaching here, which is your macro level. Right. Now we're going to talk about architecture. Now we're going to talk about project structure. Now mm. we're going to talk about macro level idioms. Yeah. And practical things like building and logging and configuration and right and I don't want to have to have the micro level conversation when I'm doing that yeah yeah but I think you need you need both and so the hardest thing is if I get somebody in in my macro level class that hasn't taken my micro level class yeah I have to fight to not take tangents and just say you know what I'll get you the video Let's do that, right? Mm. And on the micro-level class, I have to remind myself that I know that there are going to be people here feeling like this was a great class, but there wasn't a lot that I could do other than maybe change the way I wrote some functions here and there. Yeah. I don't think people understand how much they get out of the micro-level class until their product's in production. Mm. And now they start hitting the tooling a little bit. And now all the little things I said, because I've gotten that feedback. Mm. Yeah, I walked out of the class, it was ever. And then we started having a problem with production and like your voice just started mm. flying all over <laughs> my head, right? Yeah. So I, I think as a teacher there, it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm always fighting to make sure I'm giving the person what they need. And, and, and the struggles are just different. Everybody's struggling with different. Yeah. But you could, can people learn, I feel like you'd be able to learn the macro stuff. You have to sort of be okay with not having the complete picture down to that detail, but you can still learn concepts and retrofit that. But, or do you find that you do need that foundation to build on? Is it, is it more that way around? I think with Go, we've already learned that within three weeks, you can build just about anything you want, and it will run, and it will run pretty damn good. Mm. And if you want to leave it like that, you can. Yeah. We've learned that mm -hmm. already, right? So it, it, it doesn't come down. It, what it comes down to you is what level engineer do you want to be? You just want to be somebody who's programming and does the bare minimum and... And that's fair. Yeah, sometimes that's appropriate. Like, if, if you just have to solve a problem that you just you have right now, you want to process these files and change them. That's or, it. And that's fair. And that's great, yeah. Just, and you're the only one that's going to worry about this. Yeah. That's totally fair. Like, we got it to... Remember back in the day where the community got crazy? Like, if you weren't writing Idiomatic Go, you were, like, evil. <laughs> like, like, what the hell, guys? You know? And so yeah. I'm glad I don't see that as much as we were in the beginning where, mm. we're, where maybe there were more academics than there than there were people just saying tell me what to do yeah right and so i think that's fair but if you want to be a better engineer and really think about readability and maintainability yeah then you've got a big team or multiple teams working on a code base that's going to have a long life yeah. then it's a different game and you it? don't want to know on all of my teams when I start a new project I tell everybody I don't want to know who wrote any line of code when I'm looking at it mm. if I know who wrote this we've mm. got a problem that's interesting yeah well, it's funny because with GoFemt and of, you know the fact that there isn't lots of different ways to do things in Go or there tend not, tends not to be you do get sometimes this effect where you look at some code and, and it feels like you've written it 
And that's such a... It is, but let's talk about where that can go wrong. Mm -hmm. Variable declarations. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm teaching all the time var for zero value construction. I don't Mm -hmm. want to see short variable declaration operators. I don't want to see empty literals unless we're on returns, right? So there I can pick out that... Yeah. Because there's multiple ways to do it, that's why. To me, it's a war... It's a... It was a necessary work to keep the compiler simple, but there's a wart there. It's like one of the first things I teach in micro. Mm. I don't care what you do here, but have a plan. Uh, the other thing is I hate, I hate the else clause. I hate it. <laughs> Use a switch. Use mm. the naked switch. Yeah. It's much more readable. So the yeah. moment I see an else clause in a piece of code, I freeze, actually. It's horrible. Yeah. I get, like, stressed out. <laughs> like, this has got to go. So have you ever considered making, like, a Bill Linter? Where you put your opinions into this No, tooling. because the static check linter is really good, mm. and everybody should be supporting Dominic on that project. We do at Arden with the GitHub contributions. And oh, if yeah, you're sponsors. using static, yeah, you, everybody who's using that tool should be giving them something every month. It's yeah. Because what he's doing is amazing. Now, I did start writing what we were calling the Arden playbook. Okay, yeah, which right. was all of this. And I got about 10 pages in, and it was so tedious to write Why? that. Because this wasn't kind of conversational yeah. things that I did. This was literally... Complaining. It was <laughs> not even complaining. It was just, just very, it was very dry. It was mm. do this and not this and this and not this. And after about like a day, my brain just started to shut down. Yeah. And I couldn't... And I have it out, a little bit of it out there, but I... I did put a lot of it in the ultimate Go notebook, but it's not like formally listed like mm. I was trying to do with the playbook. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I did, I did a talk at Gotham Go in New York City uh, called uh, Things in Go I Don't Use or Things in Go I Never Use or something. Else is one of them, and I make that same point of like, you know, you, you sort of hide the happy path in this little indentation and things like this. Um, and so, yeah, I, I agree. Like, we, any, anything we can do, it's really thinking about the user, the usability, the user experience of your code. Because, like, that's why you get away with a lot when you're the only one that's going to be working on it. As soon as that's, you've got more people that are going to be maintaining this code, like, then you've got to think about them. But it's bigger than that, okay? Because, look, here's the reality. I've been in this industry for 30-something years. I have... As far to date, I know of, I've got three projects still in production. One that's over 20 years old, one that's over 10 years old, and one that's a couple of years old. Mm-hmm. So what I don't want for people is when they finally finish and they retire, like their legacy is that nothing they've done over the last 30 years is still adding value on the planet. Yeah. This is not what you want. And so... At least that's not what I want. Yeah. So if you're not writing code for the next person, right? If the code you're writing, you're not thinking about the next person, two things happen when you leave. Either the next person says, this is shit, and we're throwing it away and rewriting it, <laughs> which could also now mean it ain't in Go anymore, uh-huh. right? Yeah. True. Or uh, the other thing that's going to happen is it just gets completely abandoned. Yeah. And now... It's almost like it never existed, right? Right. And so what keeps you up at night? Finishing this industry and not having anything to show. This isn't like we're building a house that's going to be here yeah, a thousand true. years from that's now. That's true. It's very transient can be, can't it? Yeah. And so, mm. so 
for me, that's like the nightmare situation. You can't, how many late nights did you have at the office in a previous job? Because you had to finish this code. Yeah. And guess what, Tal, today? You realize how insignificant yeah. that was because it's not even <laughs> running anymore. Yeah. And you ruined your day. Yeah, that's, that happened. Absolutely, I've experienced that. And I have to remember it when I'm now like, I'm working late to do this. It is worth remembering, like, in a few years, this won't be important. So you do have to keep, I completely agree. But, you, but with educating people, though, like, a legacy, you know, that's a multiplier of, like, what, what contribution you're making. And I don't know that you get visibility into it. You probably have no idea the impact you've had by all the people you've taught. Um, but that's going to be big, isn't it, if you think about it? There are times when somebody comes up to me and they say um, so here's the most recent just to have this conversation Um, and I know everybody hates blockchain but Ethereum is moving now to their new proof of stake blockchain right they're they're very close putting production Mm -hmm. I met one of the developers on that team and he was like Bill we've all watched your videos Mm -hmm. right when we were beginning to build all this code (laughs) and my brain went Whoa, that's kind of surreal, right? Because even though I'm not directly coding, let's say, Ethereum blockchain proof of stake, there is some aspect of... Yeah, the the contribution. Yeah, Yeah, that's the thing. But that's going to be loads more than that you'll never even hear about. There's going to be loads of that, and you won't hear about most of it. So... That's, you should be happy, I think, that that's the difference you're making when you, when you educate gophers. And that, that's for anybody, because, mm. again, everybody's an educator at the end of the day, whether you're doing it uh, in front of people or you're just doing it at work. You're constantly mm. educating. I think one of the big jobs that are missing in our industry, and we can't have it because there's no way to measure it, is that every company should have the, the tech lead who's a floater. This is what I want. If I ever sold Arden... Mm-hmm. I want to work at different companies for like a month, month to three months. I have no responsibility for product. But I would, let's say I went to Grafana, I sat down with you and your team, and every mm. day I paired programmed right. with somebody different for a couple of days to help them learn how to refactor, look at the code, think about it, mm. make everybody a better, at least based on my design philosophies and guidelines, but try to make everybody better on that team and get everybody rowing the boat in the same direction. Yeah. And then move on to the next team, Mm -hmm. right? Without having any responsibility for it. But the problem with that role is, is after you do that for a year, you don't have a single commit. Yeah. Right? You have no record of your existence. So maybe that problem needs to be solved then. Maybe there ought to be a kind of... The, a credit system or some way of recording that this was influenced. I mean, Mark Bates does it in his projects. He has a shoulders.txt and it's basically listing the people that have, that he's, you know, otherwise you wouldn't know that, they, that he's helped, that have helped I didn't make. know that. I love the idea of the shoulders. Yeah, TXT. standing on the shoulders yeah, of these giants. Yeah, because then, at least at review time, you could see your name across, right? Even if you put the, the number of hours that you provided, that would yeah. be... It's a role that's missing. I think you could get your teams up to speed within a couple of months mm. while being productive. You're not losing a week yeah. to training. Yeah, and it's relevant. They're learning in the context of the problems that they're really solving. Yeah. And that, to me, is always the most valuable way of learning anyway. I pair program- On the projects that I'm at in Arden, 
my mornings are usually a couple hours of pair programming with whoever I'm working with. Mm -hmm. And then in the afternoon, I set them off to go back and do usually more programming than engineering, and then we do the engineering in the morning. Right, I so see. So go code this. Just make this work. That's nice because it's sort of like... It's, 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 it gives people, like, permission to just crack on and do something, which, yeah. which is often, like, we need, we need that permission to do anything because especially if you're learning it and you feel like you don't know how to structure this or whatever, like, stick everything in main, get going, get something working, and then we'll iterate on it. I, I really like that approach. But here's the cool part. I mean, and I might take questions during the day on little things, but here's the cool part. The cool part is after usually about four weeks... They're engineering while they're doing the pro. So yeah, there's certainly. less right. and less refactoring. That, mm -hmm. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. If I'm four weeks in and I'm still doing the same level of refactoring I was, this ain't working out. Mm -hmm. yeah. And usually by week eight, it's almost like my life is really good now. This is good. This is good. This is good. Go. Right. And, and that's what I think this role should be. I think that's what this... It's an educational role yeah. in the company getting... And then, okay, we didn't document the handbook, but I've taught the handbook to everybody over a couple months. So yeah. the next person that comes on, now you do the same thing and your yeah. code is consistent. It's like up-leveler, being an up-leveler yeah. as a role. But it is something that's important and really valuable. But you're right, it's, it's, if, you don't, if you can't really measure the impact of it, What's the incentive for people to be doing that? Maybe well, it's not the there. bean counters who don't mm -hmm. see it yeah. just look on spreadsheets <laughs> and go, we're paying this person X amount a year and Where's they didn't the code? add any, yeah, yeah. They didn't add any <laughs> bottom line, let's get rid of them, right? right? Yeah, man, that's a mistake. Yeah. yeah, so to me, that would be the role I would want after I'm done with Arden. I think that would be so much fun. Yeah, I think that would be fun as well. Sounds yeah. great. And you have no responsibility, so <laughs> so you go home and your and your phone's never going to ring. Yeah, like that's the key. <laughs> you're living the dream. Oh, you're, you're living the dream. Yeah, yeah. That's Bill. Thank you so much. It's so great to talk to you, and I, I'm I'm uh, excited for your talk. You're actually going to be speaking now unexpectedly at this conference, right? Yeah, it tends to happen. Yeah, most of the time when a speaker can't make it to a yeah. conference. Aditya Mukherjee, unfortunately, is uh, not able to make it here. And, uh, yeah. But you've stepped in. And what, what are you going to be talking about? So I only have a half an hour, mm. which if you know me... <laughs> not enough. I just get going <laughs> about no. 30 minutes in. Uh, just so, start 30 minutes before backstage. It's going to be bad. <laughs> and I feel like when you're on stage, which I hate, we, I'm, I really don't like talking on stage. I think yeah, it's, that surprises it's, it's me. It's a different experience. Yeah. It's, it's more stressful. I, I'm, not a good, I'm not a good speaker on stage. I'm good in the workshop because I can be really fluid and flexible. Do and, you rely on that interaction more then with people? Because often you don't get so much of that in, in, when you're delivering to an audience. I, I think a good speaker talk is always really well prepared. Mm. The slide deck, it's well prepared, you know your message, you practiced it a hundred times, yeah. right? That's not me. Mm -hmm. I'm more like, what's going on in the room? Let's yeah. feed the room. Right. Um, and I only have 30 minutes here. Mm -hmm. So what I decided is to take a small bit of um, ultimate go that I've done and just show in a practical way yeah. how you can use benchmarking with profiling and some compiler switches to find 
non-productive allocations and fix them and do all oh. live coding. And Again, very practical stuff practical people will be able stuff. to use immediately. And because everybody here is so new, right, because I've been sheltered for the last two and a half years, it's probably going to be a lot of new material. It's new to them. Yeah. Right? I mean, I've been doing this particular exercise for half a decade. Yeah. So I always have to worry, like, how many people have seen this? And my guess is it's going to be very, very little. Yeah. So at that point, it should, be, it should be a good talk for... And you can see my style. I can't do slide decks. <laughs> so. Well, I can't wait to see it. Thanks so much for talking to me today. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Bill. This episode is brought to you by Retool, and they have a private beta ready for you to check out. This is the fastest way to now build native mobile apps for your mobile workforce. There is no complex frameworks anymore or tedious deployments. You can build mobile apps with what you already know, like JS and SQL. This is all in the browser, no code or what they call low code. Join the wait list, head to retool.com slash products slash mobile. The link will be in the show notes. Again, retool.com slash products slash mobile. Well, that beautiful sound there was just created by Egon. Egon, how, hey. how have you done that? Well, I came to here with, to the Tinyco workshop and yeah, I took some buttons and mapped them to like a trumpet valve layout and then controlled it yeah, with Ableton. Yeah. yeah, so you had to assemble this yourself on the breadboard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. And what have you got? It's got three switches. Can you yeah. explain what these components are here? So, yeah, it's um, like a, a Arduino, Nano, RP, uh, something. And then it's got three buttons connected to it. Yeah. And yeah, then there's some, some magic to map the three buttons to some MIDI note. So, so, ah, so you've got Go code that's running on there. Yeah, exactly. And that is translating into the MIDI notes, which is then played out through Ableton. Yes, exactly. Oh. So it's not too many pieces you have to put together to oh, make no. that work. No, not really. Like, it's uh, 90 lines of code, and I have, like, different scales and stuff here already. It's so. <laughs> so cool. Um, and then how was your, how was your um, this roundtable discussion yesterday? Remind us what you talked about. Oh, it was excellent. Excellent. So there was static analysis discussion. So we mm. kind of went through the like what linters everybody is using and like how do you build them and what what could be made easier to uh, make make linting uh, uh, easier to write. Right. And of course we kind of also delved into like debugger. No, pun not intended, but uh, <laughs> uh, but. Why are debuggers so powerful, but nobody is using them like properly? Like, yeah. Like uh, so, 
Yeah. Lots of interesting topics. Well, yeah, the interesting thing, because I've written some linter tools myself, yeah. and yeah. It's, it's not easy, is it? Yeah, but there are packages like tools analysis and uh, the rule card rules mm. that do help you make it easier. Yeah. So, uh, but there's probably, we could do something where we do uh, like a structural pattern detection on the bad examples and good examples and then figure out like oh. how to like convert it into a linter. So, oh, that's interesting then. Yeah. So almost like using good code as training data for... Exactly, yeah. yeah. And you can, if it's wrong, then you just add an example to one or the other and it will get better. Oh, that's kind of like GitHub Copilot, but without the machine learning and and yeah. the and the SaaS. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. <laughs> and I mean SaaS in both ways. Uh, GitHub Copilot is quite sassy sometimes. I asked GitHub Copilot just in the comments, are you alive? And it, yeah. said, it said yes. So, yeah. so, what else do you need? Exactly, that's, I'm sold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Egon. Uh, Enjoy, thank maybe you could play a bit more for us. Sure. Okay. Nice. Oh, I can't believe it. Look, dead program, Ron Evans, in real life and in this timeline. Here in Berlin, of course. <laughs> I wouldn't miss GopherCon EU. I mean, I don't get out much. <laughs> yeah. And what are you doing here? Well, we have our Tiny Go hardware hack session today. Amazing. We brought all sorts of hardware from our secret lair for people to check out lending library style. Mm -hmm. And then using that, they can hack on hardware, fly drones, program GopherBots, program IoT controllers, and even our Tiny Go music jam. Oh, that I can't wait for. Uh, I was talking to Boo Boo earlier, and he was making a drone fly around uh, before someone nearly squashed it. Well, he's actually been uh, consuming the batteries for the drones at a very rapid pace, <laughs> and uh, he's, he's definitely getting his drone pilot license after this, I'm, yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> so let's have a quick look at some of the stuff you've got here, then. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a podcast, so people can't see it. We're going to have to describe it. But there's these cool pins and stuff. And oh, these are really awesome Tiny Go pins mm. made by Conejo Ninja. Mm. My awesome collaborator and colleague, he, he makes wonderful toys of all different kinds. Mm. Um, so he 3D printed these cool little tiny gophers, which you got to take Adorable. one in your appropriate color. Yes. Uh, we have these awesome pins, tiny go stickers. Yeah. But the thing he made that is the most amazing is these life-size gopher bot helmets. I know. I can't believe We've this. got those photos that we took a few minutes ago yeah. that you'll have to share because... Uh, Honestly, we look better in those helmets than we've ever looked. <laughs> I know. To be fair, yeah, I feel like it's sort of like Daft Punk, but imagine Daft Punk was struck by lightning and... Daft Gopher. <laughs> gopher Punk. Yeah, that's us. Um, and it's, yeah, they're, they're just so great. And then there's, there's lots of components and things for people to build. Yes, we, we have fully assembled Gopher bots for the people who want to more explore the software side of hardware. Mm -hmm. And then we have all these IoT sensor kits with individual sensors for people who actually want to touch metal. Yeah. They want to plug in cables that control individual LEDs, and we've got that for you as well. Yeah, that's so cool. So, uh, as I'm talking, these, uh, the robot's ears are flapping. Um, yes, the, the ears move, they're on servos. Uh, that was one of the things people asked about the original tiny gopher bots is, uh, do they move? I'm like, no, they don't move. It's an emotional support robot. <laughs> you hold it close to you, and yeah. you tell it what you need to tell it. You know, and it just listens. It doesn't respond. It's just a perfect listener. Yeah, nice. But, you know, for your for your Koneko Ninja, he really had to go to the next level. He had to go larger, first mm. of all, full, oh, full yeah. life size. 
yeah. human if you want if you want to become one of the gopher bots right you know then it's got the cybermen style <laughs> they are they are so you, know, cool. you, you you could get away with wearing them around berlin i think i think <laughs> that I, I saw someone wearing something very similar last night <laughs> yeah but yeah he's got these awesome go tiny go controlled ears that mm. have small servos so eventually we'll hook up a brain computer interface and then they'll move based on your mood. Amazing. So how does it work in code then? Like do you because is there an API for these particular things? Do you how does it work? Do you send messages? What's the actual interface like for the programmer? Well, it's all just Go code. Mm -hmm. And we do have APIs. We have a low-level API called the machine package, which mm -hmm. in TinyGo lets you actually control the different individual LEDs at a very low level. Right. And then we also have a driver's package, which has got somewhat higher level for things like displays and sensors, where it's a really, if you want to read the temperature of a particular known sensor, mm. you don't want to have to figure out the low-level protocol details. Right. You just want to read the temperature ah. and then do something with that information. I see. But that's cool that you can, you still have the option of that really low-level stuff. And that is very appealing, especially if you spend a lot of time in higher-level software. The fact that this also reaches out into the real world, I think, is kind of gets really exciting. And we, we have a really, another layer on top of that with some packages, there's a couple of packages specifically for displays, the tiny draw and tiny font packages. And that this is actually treating these LEDs on the helmet mm. as if it was a kind of small display. Yes, yeah, and it's compatible text, right? with the same exact APIs as those little tiny, um, these very, very small displays that are about the size of a postage stamp and then you have these large displays and you can yeah. use the same types of software right. and the same drivers and the same tiny go tiny draw and tiny font package mm. regardless of the size of display so how is it how is the text scrolling then is that part of the driver tech or is are you is someone actually redrawing each time and then coming up with the logic to toggle the leds individually and stuff i don't know mm. But the programmer himself, Conejo Ninja, is right next to me and knows all the answers to these wonderful things. Well, that sounds like a great segue. Hey, how's it going? Fine, thank you. Yeah, so how does the text scroll on this display? Do you have to calculate what it's going to be and then update things individually? Are you... Do you tell uh, it? No, we, we just have these uh, fantastic libraries, uh, Tiny Font mm -hmm. and Tiny Draw. Uh, with Tiny Font, you just said, like, I want to print that, this text in this position. So we just move the X position. Like I see. One less. Ah, okay. So you, are, you have some kind of loop that yeah. you manage then with a sleep in there, I yeah. assume, for the delay. Mm -hmm. Ah, and so you're drawing it and offsetting it. So that is very cool because it looks very familiar. It just looks like a, we're used to seeing this kind of scrolling text display. Yeah. Um, but you're controlling that yourself, which is really cool. And how long did it take to build these helmets um a couple of months <laughs> but uh, i've been busy so um yeah yeah well, i can see you've been busy are you worried yeah. about them ever coming to life mm. you thought about that no yes yeah a little bit <laughs> I, I, I can tell yeah <laughs> that's the plan isn't it <laughs> yeah i think well this is it i, I look forward to these because it's going to be like the terminator but they're adorable yeah yeah so in a way it'd be nice we're all gopher bots now. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, okay. yeah, great stuff. Yeah, if, and if anyone's interested, check this out online because uh, TinyGo project is, is, is really great. TinyGo.org. TinyGo.what? TinyGo.org. Okay, there you go.
Well, that's a wrap from GoForCon EU, and I'm a little bit exhausted, but it was such a good. I've met some amazing people, had some great conversations, hosted with Ali, Natalie, Jessica, and V. Uh, co-hosting there was was great fun. Um, the Go for Say podcast um, that we that we recorded live was great fun. That was um, went better than I'd hoped. And yeah, the talks were so good. The conference, all the staff, um, Natalie and Donna and the team that put this together. Um, I don't know how they do it. It's just uh, so much work and they're just so much fun. So if you get the opportunity in the future to go to GoForCon EU, um, I really recommend it. And they do a diversity um, scholar- sponsorship scholarship thing too. So if you feel like you there's no chance of you getting there, reach out on Twitter to them um, because they they make it available to everybody. Great. Okay. Well, that's it from me from Berlin and from GoForCon EU. Oh, I had a great time. I'm off back to London now. You're welcome. All right, that is Matt's GoForCon diary. We hope you enjoyed it. Your next step is to subscribe. If you haven't yet, visit gotime.fm for all the ways. If you're already a subscriber, do us a solid and share GoTime with your friends and colleagues. We appreciate you helping spread the word. We also appreciate our partners at Fastly and Fly.io. Please check out what they're up to. They help make GoTime possible. Next time on GoTime, Natalie and Ian sit down with Ivan Kwiatkowski, aka Justice Rage, to learn more about hacking with Go. Stay tuned for that. It'll drop into your podcast app next week. Mm-hmm.